I don't know about you, but I feel like life is kind of returning back to normal. Uh, it feels good, doesn't it? I see people here today that I haven't seen before who are coming back and uh, just hope that this and pray that this virus is finally coming to an end or at least coming to a point that life can return kind of back to normal. I know uh, San Francisco, I think this week, and Marin County lifted their mask mandates and uh, I hope we can do that soon as well. We are in the midst of this sermon series that we've called Grace, Gratitude, Generosity. This is going all the way through the end of January um, with a break for Advent uh, for four weeks. And I think by the end you'll see how these three things go together. Right now we're focusing on grace, which is foundational to our faith. We're reading a passage of scripture today from the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. And it is, I got to say, as we read it, you're probably thinking, what in the world is this talking about? (laughs) And it's a hard passage of scripture. Uh, There are parts of it that even scholars, as I read through uh, commentaries this week, they said, we don't know what Paul's talking about here. (laughs) This is really cryptic. So... Try to get the big picture. It's an important uh, message today. This is a really important passage of scripture. Uh, You know, it's very theological. And I would just say theology is important. And it's good because our theology really um, affects the way we live life, believe it or not. So hang in there with me today. Uh, Put your thinking caps on because we're going to go through some pretty heavy theology, okay? But it's going to be good. You're going to love it. By the end, you're going to go, wow, that was great. <laughs> okay, so uh, here it is. Galatians 3, 15 through 25. Paul is writing to the church in Galatia who are trying to be led astray by, remember from a few weeks ago, this group called the Circumcisers uh, or the Judaizers who are saying that it can't just be grace alone. It has to be grace plus circumcision Grace plus dietary laws and other things as the church grapples with what is this new thing uh, called the gospel. Okay, so here we go. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and his seed. You know, the covenant that God made with Abraham. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law, the religious law, the Ten Commandments, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God, and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it is no longer, it no longer depends on the promise. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. So what he's saying there is, always oh, started with grace. Right? The covenant was not based on what we do, but what God does. Why then, and this is what we're going to really deal with today, why then was the law given at all? Why do we have the Ten Commandments, and other religious laws. It was added because of transgressions or sins until the seed, capital S because it's Christ, to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator 
A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law or enslaved by the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Let's pray together. God, we pray that you would take uh, uh, this somewhat difficult passage of your word for us today and help us to understand. We pray that we would get what's really important in this passage, that we could see how it intersects with our life and is just really so important to life, really, and to our faith. So we pray through your Holy Spirit that you would speak to us and you would open our minds and our hearts to receive your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now what I hope is crystal clear as we go through this series on grace is this. Christianity is about what someone has done for us. It is not about what we do. We cannot save ourselves. That has been so clear through this six weeks or four weeks. We are lost, unable to save ourselves, unable to find home. It is only through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what Christ has done for us at a great cost, as Don said last week, by the way, Don's sermon last week was great, that we can be made right with God, that God accepts us. Paul makes it so clear in the book of Galatians that makes, what makes us right with God is not being a good person, which is what so many people think Christianity is about. It's not by our good works or our efforts at being good or at self-righteousness. It's about what Christ has done for us on the cross. Nothing else. Pure grace. If you remember nothing else from this series, remember this saying, grace plus nothing. Grace plus nothing. Now, when we really begin to grasp that truth and that good news, you know what? It is the greatest event in our lives. It changes us. It sets us free. Oh, and see, this is what Paul's writing about in Galatians, in Galatians. It's about freedom in Christ. Christians should be the freest people in the world. Free from anxiety about whether we're good enough. Free from any worry about what happens to us after we die. Free from guilt. Free from shame. Free from having to perform whether it's in the religious realm or any realm in our lives. We are loved just for who we are. And when we grasp that love, it changes us, sets us free 
Free, free, free. Empowered to live a free life. Empowered to live life in a new way. So what do we do with all this freedom? When we know it's really not about us and about what we do or what we don't do, what do we do then? Raises a great question. And I'll tell you a little story about how I got the title for this sermon today. You know, for years, I taught new members classes. Four or five times a year for 17 years. I loved it. We taught one yesterday. had a great time. One person, but it was fantastic. <laughs> really deep time, actually. Someone who really is beginning to grasp this gospel, to be honest with you. And always in new members' classes, what I wanted people to know more than anything was this grace. And so we would always I'd take one session and teach the parable of the prodigal son. You know that great parable, the greatest of all Jesus' parables, about this bratty young son who asks his, son, his father for his inherit, part of their inheritance, totally insulting him, runs off, blows it, comes home. Kind of humbled. And God the Father runs out to meet him and showers him with love and grace. Doesn't want to hear any, anything. Just let's have a party. Celebrate for my son who is lost is found. Oh, he's home. Pure grace. And so we talk about this parable and lights begin to go on for people. I can just see it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it when, you know, the lights begin to go on and you begin to see grace. I remember one man, 75 years old, he said, you know, I've been in church almost every Sunday of my life. I've never heard grace before. Why didn't anybody tell me? I always thought it was about being a good person. And so we have this discussion, and I can see the brains working, I can see the wheels turning, and so often, some brave soul will say what everybody else is thinking. So, you mean God loves us no matter what? Yep, that's what I mean. You mean that God's love is not dependent at all on our behavior and our good works and being a good person, what we do or we don't do? Yeah, that's right. That's what I'm saying. You mean our standing with God has nothing to do with good works? Yep. Now let me make sure I hear this right, they would say. You mean if we have faith in Christ, we believe Christ, we are accepted, made right with God, and forgiven, past, present, future. Is that right, Steve? Am I hearing it right? Yep. Long pause. And then they ask the question, what is it? Why be good? Great question. Why be good then? And see, if you've been living your whole life trying to earn God's approval by being good, wow, this is really different, isn't it? Why be good? Great question. God's not like a cop in the sky. He's not keeping score of what you do wrong and right, which is the way a lot of Christians live. 
if you can't throw guilt and shame at people, then how are we going to get people to behave? (laughs) How are we going to get people to serve in the church on committees? Man, if it's no guilt and shame, why do it? How are we going to raise a budget? Get people to give. Great question. Really, this is a very important question because what do you get at here? You're getting at motivation. What motivates us to be obedient to God, to live this this Christian life? And see, it seems to me that our motivation is as important, if maybe not more important, than what we do. That seems to be the case with Jesus as he's interacting with the religious leaders. And really another way of asking this question is what Paul deals with this passage today. If we are set free, then why do we have this religious law, the Ten Commandments and all the other laws in the Old Testament? Have you ever asked that question? And do those laws still apply to us today? Do we throw them out? Is obedience not important at all? Or was the law just for people in the Old Testament? You see, these were the questions the Galatians were trying to figure out and that Paul's addressing. And these Judaizers came in and they said, yes, we still have to have these laws because if we don't, people will go crazy. They'll be wild. And isn't that what churches so often do? They manage sin. I loved, uh, oh God, what was his name? I took a classroom, Dallas Willard. He said, you know what's preached in most churches today? It's sin management. I thought, you know, that's true. Making people behave. I don't think that is the gospel. And is, is the gospel really we just do whatever we want? Well, really important question. It's so relevant to our lives because it affects, you know, why do we live life the way we do? What do we do about our, with our money? Why should we care about the poor? What are my priorities in life? Do you see it really makes a difference? So let's take a look at what Paul says. And again, if you're new to the church, there's a lot here. Um, just try to get the big picture. Paul says, first of all, that the law could never save us. It never was intended to do that. It was never a system of salvation. The Pharisees made this mistake. They thought they were earning acceptance by God through devoting themselves to keeping the law. But it was never intended that way because you know why? We will all fail. Every human being that ever lived and will live, is going to fail. So why would God just set us up for failure? That doesn't seem like a very good God. Salvation was always by faith, even in the Old Testament. And he brings up this example of Abraham, someone, of course, that all the Jews would know, that God made this covenant with Abraham. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will bless you. I will give you, I will bless your seed and and multiply them and you will be a witness to the world. 
what it means to be in relationship with God. This covenant or promise was really based on what God did, what, not what Abraham did in terms of keeping the law. It was by faith. Abraham had faith that God would give him a son through his, his wife, Sarah, who was 90 years old. That's impossible. But through faith, he believed it and then was deemed righteous. So why was the law given at all? Well, the answer is in verse 19. It was added because of transgressions until Christ came. The law was added because of sin. Now, hang in here, because we're going to bring it home here pretty soon. The purpose of the law, John Calvin said there were three purposes. One is to show us our need for a Savior. The purpose of the law is to show us our need for Christ. It is to show us that we are all lawbreakers, that no matter how hard we try, we can't do it. Calvin said it's to drive us to despair, where we throw up our hands and we say, I give up, I can't do it. And it shows us our need for grace. You know, there was 2007, a guy wrote a book, The Year of Living Biblically. Have you ever heard of it? It's really funny. This writer, Jewish man named A.J. Jacob, who wrote, you know, for secular magazines, was not a religious person, wrote for Esquire and other magazines, wrote this book based on his efforts to live biblically for a year to try to obey every law in the Old Testament. And he did this for a number of reasons. One of them, he said, you know, if it is true what they say, that there is a hole in our heart until we find God, then maybe this is my visa to finding God in spirituality, is obeying these laws. And he tried to take every law literally. Can you imagine? Now, you may not know some of the Old Testament laws. One is... You know, you don't cut your beard, so his beard grew long. Don't cut the sides. You know, the Hasidic Jews don't do that, and you can see the curls. One is you only wear clothes of one single fiber, so you have a special rabbi to come and look at his clothes and okay them. One, there were some hysterical examples of this. One law is you've got to stone adulterers. And he has a friend. He had a friend who cheated on his wife. So he's thinking, how am I going to stone my friend? He realized that it didn't say how big the stones had to be. So he took a little pebble, and he just inconspicuously threw it on his friend's feet. <laughs> Fulfilled the law. Now, here's what happened with him with this experiment. He discovered a couple things. One, he couldn't do it. He could not do it. He could not obey every single law. So he ended up choosing certain ones, which is what we do. And he said, I failed. The other thing he realized, even more importantly, it didn't bring him any closer to God. And this is what Paul is saying in this, in this passage. It doesn't give us life. He didn't know, he was agnostic going in, he was agnostic coming out. He didn't get any closer to God. Benjamin Franklin tried the same thing. He had this whole system. This is so Ben Franklin. 
I'm going to become perfect. I'm going to take a virtue a week and conquer it. You know, things like industry and patience and every week he picked one and he worked on it and tried to master it and then grade himself. Now, I would have problems with this because how do you grade yourself? Remember, how good is good enough? Do you grade on a curve? <laughs> but that's another topic. But he did it. He felt like, wow, I'm becoming a better person. I'm mastering these virtues. And then what happened? He figured out he was becoming proud. <laughs> and kind of looking down on other people who are not as morally good as him, which is also what happens, right? So he said, well, I better become humble. Have you ever tried to become humble? Impossible. So he gave up the whole experiment. You see, I think this is what Paul is saying here. You can't save yourself. You can't be perfect. You'll just, like A.J. Jacobs did, you'll begin to pick certain laws, like do not smoke, do not drink. Have you ever been in a church like this? Do not dance, and don't associate with anyone that does those three things. And you take the external laws, and you forget about the grand scope of the law, which is about the heart. And what are your motives? See, this is what Jesus did on the Sermon on the Mount. He took the law and he intensified it and he, he started talking about the heart. So he would say things like, you know, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, even if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, what? You've, create, you've committed adultery. You're guilty. Or you have heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, even if you have anger with someone, you, you are guilty of murder. Do you see what Jesus did? He intensifies the law, and he says we're all guilty. Now let me ask you, how many people here have ever lusted? It may have been a while, but... <laughs> Come on! How many of you have been angry? Okay, so I have a congregation full of adulterers and murderers, and liars. <laughs> the PNC didn't tell me about that. But I also didn't tell them, I'm also a murderer and an adulterer and a liar. You see what this is all about? It shows us our need for a savior because what Jesus wants to do is not just worried about external action, about our hearts. And he's going to change us from the inside out. We can't do that. But God doesn't leave us there just realizing our sin. That's half of the gospel. Remember I told you, what is the gospel? The gospel, here's a great definition of it. You know, it's, we are more lost, we're more broken, we're more guilty than we ever dared believe, but what? More loved and accepted than we could ever imagine. And see, this is the gospel. 
God loves you even in your brokenness. God knows all your warts and your weirdness and your secrets. And he loves that person. That's powerful. Isn't that what we all yearn for? Is to be loved just for who we are and accepted just for who we are? That's a life-changing event. That's why people go to therapists and pay $300 an hour for that kind of acceptance and empathy and expertise, obviously. Man, have you ever had an experience where you've been vulnerable with someone and you've admitted something that you've never admitted before and they love you? Even after knowing that? That is a really powerful experience. And see, this is the gospel. And this is why it has so much power to change us and to heal us and to set us free and to give us new motivation. You see, when we realize God loves us like that, and see, I got to talk about Steve Main for a second. When he preached, he said every sermon is about being good. Preacher tries to tell you to be a good person, better person. I got to say, I hope I don't do that every week because that's religion. What I hope you get every week is how beloved you are just for who you are. That's the gospel. And that changes us. Telling you to be good every week just frustrates you and me. But to help you grasp the bigness of grace and this beautiful gospel that sets us free. Oh man, if I could have a church of people that know there are murderers, adulterers, and liars, but know more than that, know that they are loved beyond anything they could ever imagine, watch out. That is going to be a dynamic community of faith. Wouldn't you agree? Freedom. You see, I went through a period in my, and I think this is often what happens with people in, with Christianity is, you know, we start with grace. This is what happened to the Galatians. And then you get off track and you start thinking it's about you and trying to do good. And you start living in legalism. I went down that path. And then, you know, through meeting people and reading some books and just God's spirit working, God's grace taught me about grace. And really began to experience this freedom, knowing that God loved me. You know what? I realized I wanted to be good. Something shifted. I wanted to do the Father's will because I loved God, because I knew how much God loved me. And boy, when that happens, something shifts, and you have new energy, you have new power in your relationship with God. When we know that we don't have to obey God to earn his approval, then, wow, we are more energized, more motivated to obey, more motivated than we ever could be just about being a good person. And we choose 
out of complete freedom. And love is a great motivator. Let me tell you a quick story. Now, I hope I'm not sexist here. Just if you want to reverse roles, you can do that. But here it is. This woman is married to this guy, and he is awful. She's a stay-at-home mom and housewife, and boy, every day when he goes to work, he gives her a list. Here's what I want done. By the end of the day, when I come home from work, man, I, today I want, you know, those dust bunnies underneath the bed, you've got to get rid of those things. The windows, I want them clean, and I, I want the corners clean. I mean, he's pointing out everything, right? I want a great meal. You know, he has this list of stuff, and it better be good. Can you imagine being married to a guy like that? I was teaching this in a new members class one time, and a woman said, I was married to that guy. <laughs> well, that's slavery, isn't it? horrible way to live. Fortunately, this guy dies. <laughs> and she is set free. And she meets another man. And he loves her. You know that love we all look for? Just loves us for, for who we are? Well, he just, he loved her and delighted in her, and thought she was just great, even if she didn't do all these things. Well, a couple of years of living like this, man, she is free, she is loving life, she loves this marriage, she's a new person. And she's up in the attic one day, and she hits this box, and this piece of paper comes floating down to the floor, and she picks it up, and she looked at it, and, and she started laughing. She smiled. What was it? That one of the lists. The old list. And she thought, wow, I used to live this way. And then she really started smiling. You know why? Because she realized she was doing all the things on that list plus more, with joy. Because she knew she was loved and she wanted to do it. Do you see it? This is the motivation. Why be good? Out of gratitude. Out of joy. And it's such a powerful motivator. I think, God, you're brilliant. What a far more powerful motivation Right? Far greater than fear. Far greater than guilt. Far greater than shame. You, you just give up after a while on that. But love. You see, this is what God is after with us. Not that we would behave right. That we would love well. Right? Not that we would manage sin, but that we become really good lovers of God and of people. Prompted Martin Luther to say, you know, here's what it's all about. Love and do whatever you want. Now, if you think Luther is some kind of crazy Lutheran, let me say this. Jesus said the same thing. 
the entire law is summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Why be good? Because God's grace makes us want to be good. Because we find true freedom in obeying God's perfect will. And because when we really begin to grasp God's love and his grace and acceptance of us, our hearts are melted by the grace of God. And our whole lives become lives of gratitude and joy. Amen? Amen. God, thank you. I pray that these words may make the journey from our heads to our heart, that we would know, Lord, that you love us with this amazing love that accepts us just as we are, and help us to live in faith, to live by the gospel and not religion. In Christ's name we pray.